0: I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber.
1: Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gigillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig with details.
2: A new season of Bridgerton is here.
4: Welcome to Part-Time Genius, a production of iHeartRadio.
5: Guess what, Mango? What's that, Will? All right, so I was looking up old video games and video game systems this week. As we've talked about, I know both of our boys are obsessed with video games these days. Mm-hmm. And William is trying to find every game ever made on every system ever made. And they, of course, <laughs> make these like little computers where you can go back and try these games from pretty much every system. So it is kind of fun to uh, to get into it with him. But there's one that he's not familiar with. So I don't know if you know this, but before they were making graphing calculators... Texas Instruments used to make a computer for kids. It was actually called the TI-99.
4: So weirdly, I actually know this because I had one. No way. My dad was super into gadgets and early computers. And, and so I had one in my room when I was like four, which is, which is crazy. That's wild. But you know, the weirdest thing about the system is that like the TI definitely had a place for cartridges, but it could also hook up to a cassette player and and it would play games through like tape cassettes essentially so so like the cassettes would feed data into the computer which is which is nuts and i I actually like Thought about this like a, a few years ago, and 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 had to look it up because it felt like a dream, like it didn't yeah. feel real. But but uh, but the the weird thing about my TI ninety nine was I had none of the fun games. Like everything my parents bought for me was educational. So I think like the most fun game I had was chess. Which is <laughs>
5: well, it's a not little, little bit of a relief because I thought I was going <laughs> to tell you everything I knew here, and you're gonna be like, sorry, I already knew that. But uh, but so there's a TI ninety nine game that's definitely not educational. It's called Garbage Belly, and it's why i brought the system up in the first place i (laughs) i was reading about it in pc mag and this is what the back of the garbage belly box said it says help garbage belly gobble up the ripe garbage in a field of garbage pails but watch out if you make him eat raw garbage he will die
4: Garbage belly. I feel like I've never heard anyone say the word garbage so much to like <laughs> sell a product. But isn't it weird that the character dies from raw garbage? Like like he only feasts on the finest garbage, which is cooked garbage.
5: Yeah. I mean, he's got to die from something. Plus, you know, just because his name is Garbage Belly, I don't think we can assume like that he, he wouldn't have discerning taste. Like some garbage does have to taste better than other garbage.
4: That is a good point. So was was this game any good?
5: No, it was a terrible game. I mean, you're lucky your parents brought you the <laughs> uh, the educational games only, but Garbage Belly is just the first of nine ridiculous video games that we're going to talk about today. So blow the dust off that old cartridge, enter the up, down, up, down code, and let's hit start. Start. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Mangesh Ticketer. And on the other side of the computer screen, cleaning house in a ferocious game of Pac-Man. That's our friend and producer, Lowell. He is actually, guys, he's sharing a screen right now, and I honestly wish our listeners could see this because he is tearing through those ghosts just one (laughs) after another. It's a total bloodbath. Yeah, it's really (laughs) impressive.
4: (laughs) Um, It actually reminds me of that scene from 30 Rock, just saying the word Pac-Man, like uh, when someone tells Tracy Morgan that, uh, that the guy who created Pac-Man just passed away. And and he says to put out a bowl of cherries and some ghost meat in his honor.
5: Which <laughs> <laughs> Seems like, like a pretty, so uh, funny. pretty fitting tribute there. But unfortunately, Pac-Man is way too mainstream for today's show because we are on the hunt for some deeper, weirder cuts. And to help us find them, we brought along our good pal Gabe. Gabe, thanks for joining us again.
1: Hey, yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for uh, inviting me back, guys.
4: Yeah, of course. So, I, I, I am curious. Like, I haven't played games in forever, and I think Will is the same, although both our sons are obsessed. But... um Gabe, you play video games, right? Like, have you spent all your summer playing Animal Crossing like everyone else?
1: (laughs) No, I I have not. I'm the one person who hasn't, I guess. But uh, (laughs) I I did play a a different kind of simulator uh, game this summer. It's called Untitled Goose Game. Have you guys heard of this? I have
5: seen my son play it. Yes, actually. (laughs) Yes,
1: right? It's (laughs) awesome. It's it's basically a goose simulator. And uh, yeah, you play as a goose wandering around this little English village. And all you can do is honk. Flap, grab things with your beak, run, you know, typical goose stuff. And uh, so the goal is really to just annoy the townspeople and cause as much mischief as possible. It's (laughs) it's kind of amazing. And if you've ever wondered what it's like to be a goose, this is probably as close to the real thing as you're ever going to get.
4: Oh wait. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sold. I feel like this is a reason to play video games again. But uh, What I really like about that is, like, the concept kind of feels like a throwback to the early days of video games when there just weren't as many expectations and you could get away with making a game just about anything. So, like, you know, my first pick for today is actually a great example of that. It was released for the Atari 2600 back in 1982 and it's called Sneak and Peek. And it was basically... Hide and Seek, the video game.
5: So why didn't they just call it Hide and
4: Seek? Uh, I I know, I mean, Sneak and Peek sounds like so dirty if I can it. <laughs> yeah, but, it does. <laughs> but uh, I mean, branding is just one of the game's many problems. Uh, you know, it's a two player game. Uh, one player just has to look away from the screen while the other player hides. And then the player who's hiding doesn't do anything at all while the other person looks for them on the screen. They just, like, stay put and hope time runs out before the other person finds them. It's it's kind of crazy.
1: <laughs> yeah. W- wait, so this was a game that required one player to not look at the screen at all and another player to not touch the controller. I mean, are we even sure this qualifies as a video game? Like, what are you doing?
4: <laughs> it, it's kind of like... Um... I don't know if Will remembers this, but when we were like trying to brainstorm board games, we came up with this idea for Tag the board game, mm-hmm. where the only thing inside the like the box is a cone for base, and maybe maybe like a pin that says it. You know, like <laughs> uh, I feel like this is almost as bad. But you know, the worst part of the game was there there weren't that many hiding spots in the game. Uh, the game set in a house, but you can only go to three rooms plus the yard, so finding the hider isn't that much of a challenge. And you'd actually be better off just going outside and playing a real game of
1: hide and go see. Okay, so Sneak and Peek sounds like a pretty weak substitute for the real thing. But my first pick for today offers a gaming experience you'd be hard-pressed to find in real life. And in fact, I do not recommend trying. Uh, The game is infamous now. It's called Takeshi's Challenge, and it was only released in Japan back in 1986. The title refers to a real-life comedian and actor named uh, Takeshi Kitano. And he was a pretty big star in Japan at the time, from what I understand.
4: Yeah, he's actually, uh, um, he was a director, too. And he directed uh, this movie Sonatine and Fireworks. They're really beautiful, but like violent films.
1: Oh, awesome. Well, uh, according to legend, the the video game company behind Space Invaders, they wanted to meet with Takeshi. And so he agreed and they got together in a bar to see if he'd be willing to make a game with them. And Takeshi wasn't all that interested. He he didn't even like video games. But the company was picking up the tab that night, so he stuck around. And over the course of a few hours, Takeshi drank a ton of rice wine, and he gave the designers his dream of consciousness ideas for a video game. And then with notes in hand, the designer set to work creating what would become one of the most bizarre adventure games ever made.
5: It's going to have to be pretty strange to top a, a goose simulator because that sounded, sounded pretty <laughs> random if you ask me.
1: Yeah. Well, trust me, this was way weirder. Uh, the main character was an ordinary businessman. And while the game didn't spell it out for you, the ultimate goal is to make it to a distant island where a cave of treasure awaits you. And the only way to get there is basically to have the most extreme midlife crisis possible. (laughs) (laughs) So get this. You have to quit your job, divorce your wife, get drunk, fight the Yakuza, sing karaoke, Mm -hmm. learn to hang glide, travel to the South Pacific, and, of course, blow up some alien spaceships. Sounds about right. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, because this was all dreamt up by a guy who disliked video games the tasks themselves were not designed to be enjoyable. So for instance, to beat the karaoke section, you have to actually sing into the console's built-in microphone. And then your performance, it has to be judged as good by the computer. And here's the thing, there's no criteria for the performance. So if the game says your singing is lousy, then you just have to do it again until you get it right. Oh, wow. And if that wasn't in- Yeah. And if that wasn't infuriating enough, once you actually beat the challenge, the reward is a treasure map, but it's written in invisible ink. (laughs) So the player has to sit there without touching the controller for an entire hour while you wait for the map to appear. And if you touch a button any sooner than that, you're thrown right back to the karaoke challenge. It's sadistic. <laughs> it sounds
4: like such a like big practical joke. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, that's exactly what it is.
1: Right. Yeah. Some people think that, you know, the whole thing was just Takeshi kind of thumbing his nose at people who play video games and and the game's ending actually lends some credence to that, Uh, you know, spoilers. But if you manage to stick with it through all the frustration, the only reward is a little drawing of Takeshi's smiling face and a message that says, why are you taking this game so seriously?
5: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, if you're in the market for something a little more relaxing and honestly, a bit less soul crushing I have a recommendation for you. It's a, it's a little puzzle game, and it's called Hatris. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, this is just Tetris, but with hats. But no, my friends, this is Tetris with hats and the severed heads of Frankenstein and Abraham Lincoln himself.
4: <laughs> so what was this game also designed by a drunk Japanese comedian? Or? No. This this is actually from the creator of the
5: original Tetris. So this was back what? in 1990. <laughs> yeah, this is true. He went back to the drawing board and perfected his original idea by swapping different shaped blocks for different kinds of hats. So the hats would descend the screen two at a time and the goal was to place them on one of six heads lined up at the bottom. So stack five of the same hat on top of one head and they would disappear just like those lines in Tetris. So I, I guess that kind of makes sense. Like, how does the head of Abe Lincoln fit into this stuff? Yeah, that's the part I'm not quite so sure about. I mean, I, I guess they wanted some recognizable heads to stack hats on. And of course, Lincoln <laughs> fit the bill. We always think of him with a hat on. But, you know, the better you do, the more new heads you unlock. And so in addition to Lincoln and Frankenstein, there's also, of course, Charlie Chaplin and Dracula.
1: <laughs> Dracula. yeah, wow. you know,
5: the usual I, crew. I,
1: I, yeah, I, I like that they pick notable hat wearers like Lincoln and Chaplin, mm-hmm. but then they just threw in a couple monsters, yeah, you know. It makes sense. If there's if there's one thing Dracula's known for. Yeah, it's his iconic
4: hat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean the whole concept's a little confusing to me, but what type of hats are we talking about? Like baseball caps, berets? Like what, what is in the mix?
5: Well, there there's Lincoln's stovepipe and of course Chaplin's famous bowler.
4: Mm-hmm, which which uh, which makes sense.
5: But, but you're right. There is a baseball cap along with uh, a cowboy hat. Uh, let's see what else a top hat, and one of those pointy cone hats that like wizards wear. And so it's a pretty good mix, but the game never actually explains where this endless stream of hats is coming from, or of course, the severed heads for that matter.
4: Which I guess is why you've gotta have a sequel to this. Um right. but speaking of sequels, uh, my next pick is kind of a spiritual sequel to that game uh Gabe talked about forever ago about David and Goliath. Mm-hmm. Uh it was we talked about it in our Philistines episode, and I've kind of been obsessed with it ever since. It was Bible Adventures, right, Gabe? That's what it's
1: called. Oh, that's the one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so
4: I, I I was uh, you know, fascinated by it. So I looked into other biblical games and a few years after that came out, the same developers released another bible-based game called super 3d noah's ark wow. and, uh, this one was actually for the super nintendo and it was built using the same game engine as the first person shooter game uh wolfenstein 3d
5: Wait, you said first person shooter like was this actually a shooting game like does is noah running around through the ark like
4: gunning down animals or something yeah, pretty much. Except obviously they didn't have guns back then. So instead, Noah's got this trusty slingshot and uh, an endless supply of fruit. No and way. the game's storyline is that the animals are sick and tired of being cooped up in a crowded boat. I guess it kind of feels like quarantine. Mm-hmm. And uh, and eventually all the animals go rogue. So Noah has to protect his family by launching fruit at the animals until they all get full enough to slip into a food coma. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so I mean I think it's safe to say the designers took a few liberties there or I mean I don't know maybe it was just my translation but I don't remember an animal rampage and a shooting spree being part of the original story you gotta read it again
5: Gabe you just I think you forgot (laughs) that part
1: (laughs) yeah add some punch (laughs) but when I looked it up uh it it
4: feels like the bible doesn't say anything about what actually went down on the ark like it covers what happened before and it it covers what happens after the Ark's voyage, but, you know, maybe this is exactly what happened.
5: Yeah, I mean, you know, you just, you (laughs) never know. But I, I feel like we need to take a quick break so we can all look this up. This game just seems too weird to be true, but we do have four more weird games to talk about, so we'll be right back.
2: A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast.
3: Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast
5: Welcome back to Part-Time Genius, where we're talking about some of the strangest video games you've probably never played before. Uh, I think it is your turn next, Gabe. So what's your second pick?
1: Okay, so if you thought Noah's Ark was a strange idea for a game, then brace yourself for 1994's Rex Ronin, Experimental Surgeon. (laughs) (laughs) Off to a great start, right? (laughs) So uh, this was a Super Nintendo game as well. And weirdly enough, it was designed as an educational game or... You know, at least in theory, the the game was meant to teach kids about the real world danger of smoking. And to help deliver this message, the developers came up with a pretty out there Mm storyline. So here's the pitch. A wealthy tobacco salesman is dying and it's up to you, Rex (laughs) Ronan, to save his life through the miracle of experimental surgery. So by shrinking yourself to microscopic size, (laughs) you're able to enter the salesman's body and blast away his sickness with a high-powered laser. Wow,
5: like I love the detail here. So you basically shrink yourself down, and then you what do you do? You like clean out the guy's lungs or something?
1: (laughs) Yeah, and and not just his lungs either. Like another level has you blasting fatty deposits in his heart, and there's even a part where you have to enter the guy's brain to, quote, remove the nicotine addiction. That's that's how Uh, this works, right? That's exciting. Mm -hmm. Well, The weirdest part, you know, which is saying something, Uh, Is that the game has a side story where the tobacco company finds out about your plan. And then in order to keep the salesman from talking bad about the company, they send a bunch of tiny evil robots into his body to kind of finish him off. So so not only are you fighting disease, you've also got hordes of tiny robots to contend with. (laughs)
4: I feel like that's uh, that's what experimental surgery is, right? Like it's yeah, what they yeah, teach in so. med
1: school. It's
4: so good.
5: Yeah, that does sound pretty wild. But but I, I feel like it does kind of work. Like I don't think I feel like smoking after that. But um, all right, well, from the exhilarating world of experimental surgery, let's go to my next game. This is the equally riveting sensible train spotting. Uh, that's actually the name, Sensible Train Spotting, and it was released for Amiga computers in 1995. And it delivered exactly what it promised—a detailed simulation of what it's like to be a man with a thermos sitting on a bench and marking down the engine numbers of trains that pass him by. Doesn't this sound exciting?
1: Wait, is that—that's what train spotting is? Like, I've heard the term before, but I—I I honestly never knew what it meant.
4: I'm actually more interested in the fact that there were Amiga computers in 1995, (laughs) but I guess you can tackle Gabe's question first. Yeah,
5: I'll I'll tackle that one first, then we'll talk about my Tandy from back in the early 90s. But yeah, so train spotting is a real hobby for some people. So what you do is you go to the different stations and you write down the numbers on the trains as they pass by. And so people would create lists of all different engines that operated in a city, and then you try to see them all in person. It was big in the UK during the mid 20th century and some devoted fans have carried on the tradition ever since then.
4: I mean, it, it reminds me like of those families who used to drive out to airports to see planes take off, mm-hmm. like back in the the glamorous era of like air flight or air travel.
5: Yeah. And, you know, and train spotting is 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 still a thing, but... Sometimes you just can't make it down to the rail yard, you know? So for days like that, there's this game, Sensible Train Spotting, all of the fun of (laughs) watching trains and marking off numbers from the comfort of your own living room.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know what's more surprising to me, really, like that this is an activity people actually enjoy or that someone made a video game about it. Like, both are kind of baffling to me, honestly. Yeah,
5: I mean, it's not an action-packed hobby, and that's true of the game, too, but there's still some challenge to it. Like, for example... The longer you play, the faster the trains move and the more there are on the screen. So it does make it tougher to cross off all the numbers on your list before the time runs out. And so, weirdly, the game is actually hyper aware of the fact that train spotting is super dull. And so, if you run out of time before you clear a train spotting card, a message pops up that says, Time's up, sad man, go back one card, which, you know, of course (laughs) is pretty depressing, but it's somehow less (laughs) depressing than the message you get for winning. That one just says, well done, my sad friend. On to the next card.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I love that it knows what a sad man you are yeah, either way. So that's, that's, really, yeah. that's really what you want for <laughs> <Yeah>. a game.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of like Takeshi's Challenge, really. Like it mocks you just for wanting to play yeah. it. <laughs>
4: Well, it, it is funny because uh, the last game on my list also mocks you for just playing it. And uh, this one was released in 1999 for the Sega Dreamcast. It's about raising a digital pet, and it's called Seaman. Okay, and so, and what kind of pet are you raising? So in this game, Seaman, you're, uh, you're basically the caretaker of a bizarre fish-human hybrid. He basically looks like this bass with a human face slapped on the front. And the object of the game is to raise this creature through, like, all of its upsetting developmental phases and, until he eventually grows legs and leaves the water to start a life of his own. But the game does not make this easy. Uh, for one thing, the only way you can interact with Seaman is by giving him voice commands, and because the voice detection was pretty spotty, it was hard to get him to do what you want. The other downside to the game is that Seaman is kind of a jerk. Like, you're supposed to form a bond with him by talking to him more and more, but most of the time he just insults you, so you're never really rooting for him to make it to adulthood
1: (laughs) oh wow so so what we have here is basically a bad parent simulator where you neglectfully look after a fish monster. Does, does that sound about right? That,
4: I, I mean, it's basically my experience of parenting. Like
1: I was going to say that sounds but,
5: familiar. Yeah.
4: <laughs> Except I forgot to mention that uh, Leonard Nimoy also chimes in sometimes to give advice and cheer you on. That's the best part. Oh, I yeah. feel like actually this is getting better.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we've talked about a lot of weird games today, most, most of which probably don't qualify as good games, but... The last one I want to talk about fits perfectly in both categories. It is a decidedly weird game, but it's also a good one. It's called Katamari Damashi, which roughly means soul clump in Japanese. <laughs> uh, this game came out in 2004 on the PlayStation 2, and it's one of the most joyously wacky games I've ever seen. Uh, the backstory is that the magnificent king of all cosmos goes on a bender one night, drunk on the beauty of creation. And during his revelry, he accidentally destroys every star in the night sky. Oh, man. Uh, As you do. (laughs) Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, that's where the player comes in. So as the son of the king, the prince of all cosmos, it's your job to roll a big sticky ball called a Katamari all over the world until enough stuff sticks to it that your dad can then launch the whole thing into space and turn it into a brand new star. (laughs) So uh, you know, one by one, you're gradually rebuilding all the constellations using uh, you know giant balls of junk,
4: which you know kind of sounds like a sweet concept. Uh, I, I I vaguely yeah. remember this game being uh, sort of a phenomena, right? Mm-hmm. But what kind of stuff are you rolling up?
1: Yeah, I mean anything you can really. Like each level gives you a certain size that you have to you know grow your Katamari to before the time runs out. So you start small. You're making a ten centimeter ball with little stuff like erasers and paper clips. Uh, But the more stuff you roll over, the larger the ball grows. So gradually you're able to pick up bigger and bigger stuff, you know, books, bowls, furniture, house, pets, motorcycles, city buses, (laughs) like you name it. Uh, In the later stages, you roll a Katamari so big that it starts ripping up buildings and bridges and then eventually natural phenomena too. like you're literally ripping clouds and rainbows out of the sky. That's amazing. Yeah. Nothing goes to waste.
5: I do do like that you repair damaged stars by pretty much wrecking the earth and then chucking it all (laughs) into space.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's about it. And the the best part, though, is it's got an amazing soundtrack. So the whole time you're rolling up the world, there's this super upbeat Japanese pop music playing. And uh, yeah, just what you want for that kind of mass destruction. And uh, by the way, Katamari was actually it was published by Namco, which is the same developer behind Pac-Man, you know, another game where you play as a big circle Mm -hmm. and gobble up everything in sight. So, yeah, I guess they really know their brand. (laughs)
4: <laughs> as strange as that all sounds, uh, I, I do think Will should take home today's trophy. One, because sensible train spotting is a game I would never force on anyone, but I would love to have that like framed on my wall. And <laughs> and two, because he used the word Amiga computers, which which I haven't heard in forever.
1: Yeah, I can agree with that. I mean, really, all of Will's picks were about like mundane things like train spotting and and stacking hats and so garbage eating. It, Yes, garbage eating very boring <laughs> don't forget the it garbage went all eating. in on boring yeah yeah. I can't forget that well it really paid off for you. well
5: thank you guys it is an honor and thanks as always to our listeners for tuning in that wraps it up for today's part-time genius for Mango, Gabe, Lowell and myself thanks so much for listening please stay safe and we'll be back soon with another episode Part-Time Genius is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. A
2: new season of Bridgerton is here.